good morning. It's great to be here, and what a wonderful way to start our lesson, reading about the Apostle Paul and his life. You know, Apostle Paul, when we start looking at great characters in the New Testament, there's no question that he's one of those. And in case you don't know, we've got a VBS coming up that talks about those great characters, so I would encourage you to come, learn more. Apostle Paul, I'm sure, will be on the agenda for those few days. But when we think about the great characters of the New Testament, many times it's easier for us to look at them and kind of put them up just a little bit higher, right? We think of them as something a little bit more than just simple human beings like you and I. And granted, there is. They had some uh, some miraculous gifts that were granted into them. But we also realize that they are humans. They were men just like us. And in this passage of Scripture, we are given an opportunity, we are given a glimpse into that facet of the Apostle Paul's life. Did you notice what he said when Brother W.C. read that? Do you understand where he is in this moment in time? He's writing to Timothy, someone that's a real good friend of his, a son in the faith, if you will, that he spent a lot of time nurturing and teaching how to be an evangelist. So he cares for Timothy quite a bit. But in this moment, he's writing to him. He knows when he started the verse, what he say? He says, "Um, I'm already being poured out. The new King James says, I'm now ready to be offered. So Paul is standing at a moment in his life. He's in his second imprisonment with the Romans. And from what I study and I understand, his second imprisonment with Romans wasn't quite as nice as his first one. His first imprisonment, he was given some liberty and things of that nature, but in his second one, not so much. And this verse indicates that to us. He's looking at a moment where he knows it's just about over. I'm ready to be offered up. He goes on to say, my departure is at hand, or my departure has come. So this is a very personal and emotional moment for the Apostle Paul, where we see his humanity. He's looking at the end. And as he's looking at the end, what does he do? He takes a moment and he looks at self. He evaluates his life. And then the next three verses, next two verses, he kind of summarizes for us what he sees when he takes that moment to look at himself. Not only that, But if you realize kind of the context of where he is, he's writing to Timothy, as I mentioned earlier. His his son in the faith, the heir apparent, if you will, to his work. So in this moment, he's he's handing off the baton. He's ensuring that the reins of his work is being handed over to someone that's ready. The passing of the torch, if you will. And as part of that, this is this self-evaluation that we see taking place in these these couple of verses here. Now think about that. Is that really a surprise at all? No, it's not. For, For after all, is it not common for us to examine ourselves when we're there, when we're looking danger and disaster in the face? Don't we stop and look at ourselves and evaluate our lives, when, we, when we're going through trials and tribulation, isn't it simply human nature for us to evaluate what's going on and where we are? 
isn't it natural for us to take that moment of retrospective? Or how about when we see an action or a person that inspires us in some way? We see a, a new convert to Christ or we see someone that's been erring, that's been brought back to Christ and it inspires us. And in that moment, we stop and we look. We consider ourselves and evaluate what our life looks like. Also, there's moments in life when, when we have a, a second of solitude where we, we enter into this dialogue with ourselves about how things are going. We look at our spiritual self and, and we have that discussion, oh, I'm doing this or I could do that better or I should... Retrospective, self-evaluation, something we all do. When we face defining moments in our life, there's huge decisions standing in front of us. Self-evaluation is a center of those decision-making processes. And we see Paul doing that in this passage. So, for this morning, I'm going to ask you to indulge me for just a minute. We're going to spend just a few minutes looking at these passages of Scripture. And my indulgence is, I challenge each of us to look at those verses and see what Paul wrote there, how he characterized his life. But as we think about those can we spend the next few moments together evaluating ourselves? Can we take this time to, to honestly look into our own hearts, our heart of hearts, and see how we're doing in our spiritual life? Can we consider our true selves, not, not really the self that the world sees all the time? Because we're, we're not with the world always, but I'm with self always. So let's look at that person, that person that's there when it's just me. One of the um, artists that my kids have, have, have introduced me to, uh, his name is NF, and he raps a lot. And uh, one of the songs that's his, his most popular right now, he talks about all kinds of things. But in one of the verses, he talks about, uh, I put my fake face on and pretend now. Let's not do that. Let's, let's, let's set aside all the facades that we put on in life. Let's, let's take off all the window dressings. Forget the self, the self-justification and the rationalization that we do. And just look. And just consider who we are. Ponder upon our lives and how we're living them. And while we're doing that, just imagine for a moment that we're in Paul's situation. And not so much that, he's, that we're in the Roman prison but that we're in the moment where we know what's in front of us. Trials, tribulations, disaster, and danger. And then we ask ourselves, and if you want to grab a piece of paper or, or a card or even on your little digital devices, and just write down those, those two verses, 7 and 8, and, and ask ourselves, how would we complete those? I have blank the fight. I have blank the race. I have blank the faith. Verse number 8. Finally, there is laid up for me blank, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. So as we talk for the next few moments, think about how you will fill in those blanks. Talk about 
how we're going to do this. We're going to look at those four things. We're going to look at the fight, the race, the faith, and then finally the reward. We're going to look at it from kind of two perspectives. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul's example, and then we're going to ask a few questions that will help us in this self-evaluation. So let's begin with, he fought the good fight. It's always great to go back and see what those words really mean because we understand the Greek has been translated so that we English people can understand it. But when you go back to the Greek and you look at that word fight, the Greek word is agonizomai, agonizomai, which means to struggle, to compete, to, to contend with the adversary, endeavor to accomplish something, fight, Labor fervently, strive, agonizomai. Do you recognize that? Agonids, agony. Paul agonized in his efforts as an evangelist. He worked so that he agonized to spread the gospel, to serve God, to teach others. And we'll look at his life and understand that. Let's, let's start looking right after his conversion. He went on four different missionary journeys, including that trip up into Rome. And, and according to one of the studies that, that I looked at, he traveled almost 10,000 miles in these journeys. 10,000 miles, that's going back and forth across the United States about three times. That's a lot of traveling, folks. Just a couple of weeks ago, I traveled from here in Middle Tennessee over to Romania. That was a few miles, and it took me a while to get there. And I honestly didn't think I was ever going to get there. I can't imagine. 10,000 miles. No cars, no trains, no airplanes. 10,000 miles he traveled, spreading the gospel of Christ. Agonizomai. 281 days he traveled. I told you it took me about a day and a half. 281 days? Can you imagine? The cost estimated somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,700 denarii. Tony's talked about denarii before. That's a day's wage. 1,700 days of wages to make these trips. Did Paul struggle? Did he work hard? Yes, he did. Did he labor fervently? Unquestionably, he did. Did he agonize in his efforts? No doubt. Not only that, but, but we can listen to how Paul, when he was talking to the church there at Corinth, he, he kind of gives them a summation of, of what he's been doing. So if we take this one phrase, I fought the good fight, he breaks it down a little bit for the Corinthians. Turn, if you will, Second Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start looking there at verse number 23 and we'll go down through verse number 27. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent, have been in the deep. 
in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings, in cold and in nakedness. My friends, does that sound like agonizomai to you? It does to me. Paul agonized to spread the gospel, to live the gospel, to teach the gospel. And what a great example he is for us. But you see, when he talks about this fighting a good fight, he doesn't end with just Paul and what he did. He was concerned about others. We see that in his teaching and training of Titus and Timothy and how he taught them and exhorted them and tried to prepare them for the struggle, the fight, the war that they were entering. And he does so for us through his writings. Consider 1 Timothy chapter 11. This I charge you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Get ready, he's saying. Agony is coming. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in flesh, we do not war. According to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, Paul taught. He tried his best to prepare every one of us for the battle that we were going to be in. And so when he characterizes his life as fighting the good fight, he's trying to get us ready also. And when we center our minds on this thought of a battle or a fight, I can't go on without taking us back to Ephesians chapter 6. It is the personification of his thought, of what we're thinking about. And you know the passage, you're familiar with it. He talks about what? He talks about the armor of God. Now, if we're not going to be in a battle, folks, why would Paul take the time to talk about the armor of God and the implements of warfare that we need to have at the ready? He knows that there's a fight coming. Look down at verse 13, chapter 6 of Ephesians. He admonishes us, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Remember that phrase. We'll get to it in just a second. Verse number 14, he starts talking about these implements of battle individually. He talks to us about girding up our waist with truth. He talks to us about picking up the breastplate of righteousness, shodding our feet in the preparation of the gospel. He says that we should take on the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Pick up your tools. There's a fight coming and you need to be prepared. But he doesn't stop with just the implements. He starts to talk about the attitude. You look down in verse number 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul knew that in this fight, in this battle, we would experience agonizamai. We would have to endeavor to accomplish the goal of a faithful Christian life. He struggled to teach us that. So we think about where we are, how we're living our lives, that self-evaluation piece that I talked about. So we look at our lives. Are we fighting? Are we striving? Are we endeavoring? Are we agonizing in our efforts in our Christian lives? How do we go about spreading, how do we go about spreading the gospel? Are we ready, willing, and able to support those that will go when we can't? Brother Alan Hughes taught a great class just recently on personal evangelism. Have we taken that advice, those practices to heart? And are we trying? Are we agonizing to spread the gospel? Do we even realize that we're in a spiritual fight? Do we know it is a battle? Does it feel like a battle? Or are we comfortable? When's the last time that we individually have faced suffering or persecution because of our faith, even in the tiniest manner. Now, now granted, nothing that we suffer today can compare to what Paul went through. It pales in comparison, but we're blessed. We're best to live in a different time, in a different age that's not as harsh as what Paul lived in. But do we suffer? Have we been agonized? And I'm not being overly dramatic. Look at, look at what James said in chapter 4 and verse number 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God and whoever therefore wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God? If that's the case, then isn't the reverse true? That if we're God's friend, the world is going to be our enemy. They're not going to like us. They're not going to appreciate what we say to them sometimes. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12. Paul says here, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Are we? Are we standing where we need to stand? Or are we simply too comfortable? Next point. Paul said, I finished the race. He said, I finished the race. Back to the Greek, teleo is what he says. I completed it. I executed it. I discharged my duty. I accomplished my goal. I took it to the end. He was steadfast. He did not quit. He never yielded. He never relinquished or abandoned his role, his course, his race. He was steadfast. We look back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, that I asked you to remember a moment ago. We paraphrase his own words. He said, And having done everything else, I stood. I stood. Paul finished the course. And we can appreciate what this took when we look at his life even more. We look at how he was persecuted by the Jews. You, you can look over in Acts chapter 9, verse 23, verse 29. You can see that the Jews plotted to kill him while he was there in Damascus. Wanted to kill the man. 
Not only that, you go down to chapter 13 and verse number 50 when he was, Antioch, he was in Antioch of Pisidia. They ran him out of town. You go down to, to chapter 14 and you think about what happened in Iconium and in Lystra. They wanted to stone him in one and they did stone him in another and left him for dead. You, you think about the things that happened in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, in Berea, in verse 13 of that same chapter, in Corinth in chapter 18. How was he welcomed? He was welcomed by a mob of people that wanted to take his life. But at the end, to lay, oh, he completed his work. He executed his mission. He stood against that opposition. And it wasn't just the Jews that were upset with him. It was the Gentiles too. You go back to those, those acts in, in chapter 14 of the book of Acts at Iconium. That wasn't just the Jews. The Gentiles were right there with him. Let's stone the man. And they did. You, you look down in, in chapter 16 of, of Acts, verse number 19, when he's in Philippi, and there's, there's that slave girl that's possessed by an evil spirit and he, and he tosses her out. Well, how was he rewarded for that? Her master drug him before the council. Look, look at what happened in Ephesus, chapter 19, verse number 23. He's preaching the gospel. Demetrius the silversmith gets upset and says, Oh, he's going to inter interfere with my economic flow here, so I'm taking him to the authorities. How did he respond? Just like he said, Teleo, he discharged his duties. He made an end to his work. He did not shirk. He finished the race. When, when he was attacked, when his character was slandered during all of the arrests and the imprisonments that he had to go through, in the trials and the suffering and the persecutions that he endured, he finished. Never faltered, never strayed, never conceded. Till lay hope indeed. Not just his life. He encouraged others the same way. He encouraged and urged them to finish, to complete, to conclude, to stand in their faith. Galatians 6 and verse number 9. Let us not grow weary while we're doing good. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 13. Do not go weary in doing good. Colossians, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse number 58. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't quit was his admonition. Finish. So what about us? How is our race looking today? How are we executing our course? Are, are we striving? Are we running? Are we sprinting as it was toward the finish line? Or are we just jogging? Are we just trotting along? Maybe, maybe we're still back at the finish line tying up our sneakers or stretching and getting ready to go. How do we feel in that Blake? When we face obstacles, hurdles in our faith like, like Paul did, do we overcome them? Do we keep going? Do we teleo? Or do we let them trip us up? Put us on the sidelines and not keep going?
He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 19, storing up for themselves good, a good foundation. Keep working for the time that's going to come. You look in Philippians chapter 3, verses number 12 through 14, particularly at the end of verse number 13, he talks about reaching forward to those things which are ahead, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Folks, we have to finish. But are we? Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 14. For having become takers of Christ, if we hold to the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. Hebrews 6, verse number 18. Into that verse, he tells us to lay hold on the hope that is set before us. And we consider chapter 12, verse number 3 of Hebrews. Talking about our Savior Jesus. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself. And why? Lest you become discouraged in your souls. Are we finishing our course? Then He goes on to say, I kept the faith. Te reo. Te reo. This is defined as keeping a watch, a guard to protect from loss or injury. Keep an eye on it. But it also means to hold it fast, to keep it in reserve, to watch over, to attend carefully to the faith, to the gospel, to guard it. Was Paul a guardian of the faith? No doubt. We'll just look look at a few highlights here. Honestly, if you really want to get a feel for how Paul kept the faith, guarded and defended it, just, just take the time to study through Acts chapter 20 through 22 down through Acts chapter 28. And you will see multiple occasions where he does just that. We'll look at the highlights. In Acts chapter 22, Paul and the Jews there in Jerusalem, two different times he defended the faith. He defended the gospel. He journeyed down to Caesarea. And we see there in Acts number 24, Paul and Felix. And what did he do there? He defended the faith. He goes on in chapter number 25. It's Paul and Festus. What did he do again? He kept the faith. He defended the faith. You look in chapter 25 and 26. He's before Agrippa. What does he do? He defends the faith. He keeps the faith. Then he goes on to Rome. Chapter 28, two times in Rome, he stood and defended the faith. Paul indeed kept the faith. We'll look at one example in a little bit of detail. Galatians chapter 2. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, by lest any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And, in the, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. What's Paul talking about here while he's in Jerusalem with the other apostles? He's defending the faith against false teachers. 
They had come into the churches in Galatia and tried to bind on them the old law when it wasn't necessary. And Paul went and he defended the faith. He kept the faith. He was unquestionably a guardian and keeper of the faith. He held it fast. He attended to it. Te reo indeed. What about us? Are we keeping the faith? Are we defending the faith? Are we observing it in our own lives, in our own hearts? Are we reserving it there? When it comes times to, to defend it and to spread it, are we there, ready, willing, and able to do it? Are we keeping the faith? Do we still have that zeal that we had when we were first baptized that it was such a great thing you, you had to tell others? Is that zeal, that fire still there? Or has this old world and all of its distractions and cares choked it down? Have we become jaded with the luxuries of this life, complacent and content in our stations in life, not stepping up and defending and spreading the gospel when we need to? Are we keeping the faith? Lastly, Paul talks about the end. He talks about the reward, if you will, of all this work. And he says, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. A crown in the Greek, Stephanos, basically a badge of royalty, a prize that was given to those that compete in athletic comp- uh, competitions of righteousness. Dikaiosane, meaning justification, righteousness, a state that is acceptable to God, integrity, virtue, purity of lives, correct thinking, feeling, and acting. Dikaiosanos. So in the end, Stephanos Dikaiosanos was his reward, that crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5. If anyone competes in athletics, is he not crowned unless he competes according to the rules? Proverbs 4 and verse 9 says, She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 25. Do you not know that all who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. James chapter 1, verse number 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he's been approved, he'll receive a crown of life which the Lord has promised. Verse Peter chapter 5 and verse number 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10. Don't fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Hmm. Kind of the same thought, right? Our Christian life is going to be characterized by trials and sufferings. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you'll have tribulation for ten days. But be faithful unto death. Finish the course. And I will give you the crown of life. Stephanos Diakoneos. So, in this moment of retrospection we've shared this morning, what's laid up for you? What's laid up for me? Is it that crown that we just talked about? 
Is it the warm welcome of a good and faithful servant that we read about in the book of Matthew? Or do we receive that harsh welcome that says, depart from me. I don't know who you are. I never knew who you were. He says there in the last part of verse 8, not only for Paul himself, but for anyone who loves the appearing of Christ, do you? Do I? Will I love it when He shows up? Or, or, or will I stand in fear of the wrath of the judgment, judgment that I know is coming because I haven't kept the faith? What will the righteous judge declare of us this morning? So we go back to the, to the thought that we had earlier and filling in the blanks. I have blank the good faith. I have blank the race. I have blank the faith. And finally there's laid up for me blank. So my friends this morning, if you can't complete those blanks along the same lines as we saw the Apostle Paul, the good fight, finishing the race, keeping the faith, having the confidence that you've lived your life so that that crown of righteousness is your reward, then why not fix it? Why not correct it this very moment so that you can know that that crown awaits you? We pray this morning that if anyone has a spiritual need, that you'll take care of it as we stand and sing.